That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. What's up? Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you to humans for bringing us in. Of course, thank you to you for supporting the show. Today's guest is Karush Rasik, and Karush is an addiction therapist and founder of Evo Health and Wellness. And uh, we're going to welcome him to the show today. Super honored to have him on. We're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to talk about addiction, recovery, all the good things uh, uh, that y'all tune in for. So, uh, Karush, welcome to the show, man. Hey, good morning, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so. I guess we'll kind of, uh, kind of, kind of start at the top here, and uh, and and maybe have you introduce yourself. Well, I already introduced you, but maybe tell us a little bit about <laughs> yourself to uh, to the audience out there and uh, what you're up to. Sure, sure. Yeah, my name is Koresh, and I am a therapist um, and uh, the founder of Evo Health and Wellness here in Venice Beach, California. We are an addiction treatment program um, that really focuses on the the human aspect, uh, the root causes of addiction versus. Uh, focusing on some diagnosable conditions or substances. Um, my story sort of uh, goes back to my own experiences. And, uh, and I've gone through um, years and years of substance use and misuse and addiction that's taken me to some pretty dark places that uh, those that are in recovery or those that are struggling um, are familiar with. Stories are always different. Uh, feelings seem to be pretty similar. Um, that took me into uh, treatment, and in that process, um, I decided that I wanted to go into helping. Uh, became a therapist, went to grad school, um, and and worked in addiction treatment uh, for a number of years. And as I was becoming a therapist, and as I was working in addiction treatment, I started to uh, develop this internal conflict around the way that I was working in just about every area of mental health and the way that I was working in addiction treatment. Um, it seemed to be opposite. Um, and that, that, those experiences led and some very, very just, just lucky um, opportunities that came my way um, sort of led me to, uh, to doing work in a different way, to actually beginning to think about addiction, substance-related addiction as not really a substance issue. Um, nor a dual diagnosis issue where we look at depression, anxiety, or other things like that, uh, but rather a, a human belonging issue, a human purpose, worth. Um, and fortunate enough that, again, I lucked into a lot of different opportunities that landed me uh, here with uh, working with an amazing team of people trying to, to help, much like you and other people in the addiction field do every day. Very lucky. That's awesome, man. What, um, so, so you kind of went on your own journey, uh, through, through, uh, your own struggles with addiction. Um, what, what, what was that like for you? Can you, and I'm not trying to get, you know, we don't have to get super into details uh, or anything. I'm not looking for war stories, or anything like that. And you're, you're, <laughs> you're welcome to share one if you'd like, but I just don't want to, uh, feel like I'm pressing you on that. Uh, more or less like what was your own, 
um, internal demons and your own things that you were struggling with um, before you got into uh, doing doing the work that you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm I'm really open and really embrace my experience. Uh, it was awful in many ways, uh, but there was also good times. Um, and and even the most awful experiences I've had uh, give me strength now to be able to be with people that are going through similarly or even more awful things. Um, and I can be with that person in a room and uh, and in a way tolerate that and accept it and be work with it with. And of course, I get scared, and of course, I get activated. Um, and as a therapist, those things uh, present uh, with, you know, responses that I may not want to respond with. Yeah. Um, but I seem to have a bigger resilience before that happens, and I think some of that's because of my own experiences. So, you know, some of my experiences I, I'm I'm pretty familiar with. Others are, uh, escape or elude me. Uh, because I just don't remember a lot of my earlier life experiences. And mm. uh, regardless of how much work I've done, uh, some of them don't really present. And, and that's fine. I don't think I have to figure that out. Uh, but it, in a nutshell, I'm an immigrant uh, that came here from Iran in the late 1970s at the time of the Iranian Revolution mm -hmm. and moved into uh, Huntington Beach, California. Uh, where we had some distant family that had settled there for a long time. And and that experience was tough for me. I was 10 years old. Um, I was already having trouble. That was the kid that the stories go, you know, yeah. the kid that was uh, running around. The, the common story we hear often and, and you know, the, the fingerprint thing, right? We all, yeah. They all look the same. They're all very different, but they kind of look the same. Uh, so struggling kid. Um, and here it got a lot worse. Um, I was on the outs. And really wanted to be on the ins, um, and that sort of sense of loneliness, etc., grew. Um, and it was uh, athleticism and substances that gave me a way in, uh, gave me a way in socially. Um, also alleviated that pain that I was feeling in that moment. Um, I, yeah. Before I got into, to, I started with drinking, and everything came pretty quickly after that. But before I was drinking, I'd literally go and play basketball by myself for hours. Um, and just shoot baskets by myself. And, and that was never really thought of as a problem. In fact, it brought me uh, the ability to compete and the ability to make friends and people, sort of my parents bragging to their friends about it and all of that. But really, when I look back, it was just a kid who couldn't sit. You know, I couldn't yeah. <laughs> sit because this whole tidal wave of stuff would, would yeah. catch up. And, and that's, that, that was, I was off and running. I developed a, a persona of, work hard, play hard, uh, and over the next 20 years, the play hard uh, took over. And what was really the key, and, and this is what I look back at, is at no point in that journey, that experience, did I have, uh, at least, I'm sure people tried, but it never sunk in with me that I was okay. Hmm. Uh, people would accept me into groups as long as I sort of conformed to those groups. I changed my name. I was Chris Rue. I had an ID and you know, and there's people I run into now and people that see my work and stuff. And they're like, uh, and I have several different names, right? I was Chris for a long time. Then I was Roosh for a long time. And they're like, huh, your name is Karoosh. I'm like, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> you know? And that comes from this part of the world. It wasn't until I was, I think, 39 years old. Uh, and I was doing this training, um, post-recovery 
in grad school, I was in Berkeley doing the social justice oriented training. And, and it occurred to me that I had never actually used my real name. Hmm. Uh, when I was ordering a coffee or putting my name in for like a reservation. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I walked over to Starbucks and I ordered my thing and, and they go, what's your name? And I said, it's Kurash. And they're like, what? And I was like, it's Kurash. <laughs> and she's like, can you spell it? And here I am like standing there and I swear inside I'm crying. It's so hard hmm. for me yeah. because I'm like, oh no, the spotlights, all of this. So anyway, well, uh, no, I can I, go on, and I, I won't. No, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that, and I think that that's um, it's such an important thing because how how tough is that? I mean, that's that's an identity, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you as a kid, um, you know, you said it, it was tough to fit in. Uh, probably a, a a bit of a um, cultural difference between the regular community coming from Iran and, and jumping right at, down and smack in the middle of um, Surfer Bro Huntington Beach spot. A little bit different for you, I would imagine. Um, how does that, like, that's got to be tough, man. And then not being able to use your real name. Did you feel like you, you kind of had to, well, I guess you already alluded to it. You felt like you kind of had to, like, transform and, and be this certain person uh, to fit in. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I don't remember. And, and, and in my work, and I love working with teens uh, and, I, and, and young adults, and that's, that's a strength of mine and it's, it's passion. Um, but I don't remember ever, and none of the people I've ever worked with um, tell me that this is what I'm doing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just a thing you do. And some of the ways that I did that was distancing myself from my own identity and my own culture. So not only just adopting the names, but not being seen in public with my family. Like wow. being pissed off if I had to go anywhere with my folks and, you know, being that. And, and my sister uh, took a lot of the brunt of it. It's sort of a, a place where I continually have to sort of internally work on, man, I, that, that was a pretty shitty thing to do as, <laughs> as a brother, right? Well, yeah. uh, but sort of really needing to distance myself. And here, and at the end of the day, I'm also trying to distance myself from that person I see in the mirror. Wow. Right? Every time I look in the mirror, it's like, no, not that guy, right? <laughs> uh, and, but I can't get away from that, except when I get high, when I get drunk, yeah. when I compete, um, when I do these other things that get me acceptance or get me distance from what's happening in my internal experience. So how, how, how relieving and how... Um, how much freedom have you felt from being able to finally after, and I'm sure you're probably actively, you know, still working. If you're anything like me and a lot of us in recovery, we're actively working on this shit every day. It's a daily grind. Like I'm, I'm always constantly learning something new, but in your case, um, you know, you, you've been able to work a recovery program and how, how, um, how much freedom has it given you to finally be able to stand up and embrace your identity, embrace your culture, embrace, um, Kurish on, 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 um, you know, on your own level and be, be proud of that. Has that been super, um, you know, it's gotta be very liberating, I guess is what I'm getting at. It, it is at times it's very, very liberating. And, and I would be lying if I said that I've sort of accomplished that, um, it's a work in progress. Sure, um, sure. And, and I'm more and more getting in touch with my identity and more and more getting in touch with my culture. Um, and, and, what it, and, and it is the better way to be. Um, it's still hard. I don't think we live in a, a world, in a society, particularly right now, that embraces diversity 
Um, and there are segments of this uh, in this in this world now that embrace it more, right? Because of the pushback. So you got this polar thing happening. Uh, so absolutely. Uh, what I don't have to do is I don't have to uh, deal with the incredible loneliness um, that comes with having the problem of loneliness and a solution that just helps you tolerate loneliness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My yeah. solution didn't solve loneliness. It looked like it did. You know, some of the other stuff that I sort of referred to that, that I've had to deal with in, in my this journey since I, I changed my lifestyle um, is, you know, sitting with guys uh, and girls who I'd known for so long. Um, I was in their weddings. I was the best man with a couple of guys that I sat with and had to have a conversation that said, yeah, yeah, I know a lot about you, but you don't know a thing about me. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Because I could never share that internal, yeah. like, anything, right? I just had to play this role. Yeah. Um, so here, you know, through the partying and through the, the these other things. And then, of course, it went into workaholism. You call it whatever you will. Just yeah. this pursuit of, and then I'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, it's very lonely. So the best part of today is that with the struggle and with all of the things that come and go, um, I at least can be less lonely more of the time um, because I'm at least not running away from myself. And that's really powerful for me. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I, and I would, I would probably say that it's, it's fair to say that a lot of, a lot of those out there, um, you know, that are either struggling with addiction that are active in it or that are in recovery that are still trying to just, you know, do the daily grind. Um, and, and even for myself, you know, it was a struggle in feeling different and feeling weird, like feeling like there's something not right about me and trying to hide that kind of trying to stuff it down, stuff down my past, stuff down the things that um, hurt me, like cover up those open wounds. Um, you know, in, in your experience, um, you've already kind of talked about kind of navigating your way through that a bit. And I'm sure there's a ton more to the story we could get into, but what would you say to some, to someone out there listening right now, who's feeling like that, who's feeling like the odd man out, who's feeling like, man, I, you know what? I just, I just want to fit in. I just want to feel normal. Um, I don't know what the hell the, I don't know what the hell normal is to be honest with you, because I don't really think anybody's normal unless you're watching, you know, leave it to beaver or something. But, um, what, what would you say to somebody out there who, who's really struggling with that right now? I, I would just say that, that that struggle that they're having is real. Um, it's happening for good reasons, even if those reasons may be eluding them. It's in, at, at its core, it's pain. And they're, they're already doing the best they can. And I recognize and I see that. Um, even though the best they can may not look or uh, feel like the way they would like to handle it. Uh, and this idea of normal, it's, it's, that's such a powerful thing. What normal essentially means is I want to be acceptable by the majority of people. Hmm. And my response to that in a way is, you know, what if the majority of the people um, that represent this idea of normal aren't necessarily healthy, <laughs> right? That's a good point. What if you're pursuing a thing and the struggle that, that, you're, that you're having pursuing that thing is because there are inner parts of you that are saying, you don't actually want this. Yeah. This, isn't, this isn't what you want. This isn't how you want to live, or this isn't who you are, right? If you think about, uh, the addiction, in my experience, doesn't discriminate. It certainly hits populations differently, yeah. right? The more marginalized or the more traumatized you are, um, 
the there the more at risk you are. That's just statistically, it's been pretty well vetted. But there's nobody that's shielded from it. Um, so even if you have privilege across the board, um, you can still feel that exact thing that you said that you just don't belong. I'm yeah. an alien in my family. I'm an alien in my community. Whatever that might be, that's it. That yeah. it just starts there. Somewhere along the line, it would have been great for somebody to be able to recognize that yeah. and say, you're having a tough time, right? You're, wow, okay, you're having a tough time. And it's okay. It's okay and to it's have okay. a tough time. That's I, think right. that's, I think that's the big point. Like uh, I was, I was going to say, uh, it's, it's funny in my experience, I've, I've um, you know, and come across people who look, act, you know, maybe financially, everything they look like, everything's got, I mean, they must have a perfect life. It's, it's almost like those people in, in, in a couple of them that I've known are the ones that have the most um, issues, but it's not okay to them to talk about that. And so that's kind of, I think, this thing in recovery where we're breaking down this barrier. And it, I really feel like it's not just people who have problems with addiction. Like we, Just as a society, as um, a, a country, as a world, as a human being, we all have these issues in life. Like there's no, there's no perfect guide on how to live a perfect life. And we're all kind of jacked up at some point. And so mm -hmm. for us to be able to communicate and just start to talk about these types of things and say, you know what? It's okay that I'm a bit weird. It's okay that I feel like shit today. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm okay with that instead of trying to hide it and mask it. And I guess I'll kind of transition into this. With that, is um, in in the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that uh, in the in the work that you're doing, you're kind of trying to stray away a little bit from. Um, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but more of the, the scientific aspect of it more or less, um, and move into the behavioral, the human element of it. So I was hoping maybe you could kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, we, we are moving away from, uh, some of the pervading ideas. I'm not sure if I'd say we are moving away from the science. In fact, I think the science that, we, that, it, that looking at and empirically, uh, validating what's working and what's not working is a central okay. part of what we do for sure. Hmm. Um, what, what we are suggesting is that at least the treatment world um, has become too limited uh, over time and has started to adopt ideas that are not really scientifically vetted. Um, they're ideas that, uh, that when we put them to the objective test, they don't seem to, to work out. But they do in different settings, right? They, so one of the classic examples of that is 12-step uh, and AA. Uh, hmm. There's not an organization on the planet that I'm aware of um, who's, who has more members that would say the organization saved their life than AA, mm -hmm. right? That's just none that yeah. I'm aware of. There may be something out there, but I don't know about it. And even if there is one that's bigger, that doesn't really matter. AA and the, the spectrum of self-help that's been... That, that started here in the U.S. and now is a global uh, network uh, has saved more people's lives and, and more people say that it's done that. And that's awesome and it's amazing. And, and I'm a big fan and I'm, I've been a member of 12-step for a long time and, and started up meetings, etc. Yeah. And the way the 12-step has worked its way into treatment um, and some of the tenets of 12-step are being uh, are being sold as sort of scientifically vetted, um, the science just doesn't hold up uh, when it's been uh, evaluated, when it has been looked into. And so some of that, it, and, and we have people being mandated into uh, some of these programs. 
And, and that doesn't seem to work, which is why our industry has uh, rel the lowest uh, success rates um, in, in sort of the healthcare world. So that, that's one of the areas that we sort of look at and go, okay, well, what is it? How do we uh, deliver treatment that's different and allows people to, um, to address those things that we've just been talking about um, and, and over time address those and move forward? And what role can these awesome organizations play in that person's life? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If people self-select into uh, self-help groups, uh, their potential for recovery skyrockets. It just uh, goes through the roof. So, so you're so you're saying when they when they want it, when they voluntarily go versus being pushed in or forced in, whether it's through the court system or through a family member who really wants to save them, um, you're saying from a voluntary perspective, that's when we see the best results. Is that right? Yeah, in, in almost any, uh, in almost any uh, organization that comes with strong belief systems, that seems yeah. to be true. Uh, so people that are like, and think about what are, what are some of the great things that happen in 12-step uh, in meetings. It's people walk in um, and they hear things that make sense to them. Uh, they hear stories that are very different than theirs, mm -hmm. but they evoke feelings that are very similar to what they're hearing. And so this, they get this little glimpse of belonging this little glimpse of community, um, that happens uh, because somebody is going in there looking for that. Yeah. Uh, it may happen with somebody that's being mandated into that as well, but they're now having to deal with this, this power that's sending them there. And, and it creates an internal conflict for that person that says, uh, I'm being sent to a religious organization, for example, or a spiritually based organization. And, um, and, and I, it's not where I want to be, particularly for some people who, uh, who for whom religiosity or spirituality is part of the trauma. Families yeah. that they didn't feel like they belonged in who were very spiritual or very religious. And, and this conflict um, creates additional pain. And if, you, if we go back to what we were saying, which substance abuse or addiction is pain, relieving pain, now this person has additional pain that they have to deal with, and we look at them as failures in 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 their recovery. Does that? Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a great point, and I think that I think it it ties back um, what you were saying in in um, in being a kid and and feeling uh, feeling kind of left out. And we all want as human beings. I don't care what religion you are, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're fat, if you're skinny, if you're black, you're white. It doesn't matter. We want all that sense of community. We want that sense of belonging. We want to feel loved. I think and at right. the at the end of the day, um, I think you're right on point with that. When we go into a twelve step meeting or to, um, you know, any, any source of community. And we start to connect by hearing somebody. That's why it's so important for us to be open and to share. Um, you go in there and you take someone who may be very callous, maybe very, very hard and, and, um, you know, uh, uh, hurt, I guess inside. And, and they, they hear something, that one little thing that sparks them and you feel that connection. Um, that's where you can kind of plant that seed and, and begin to grow from there. Right, exactly. And also, I, d I don't want to sort of say that they're, you know, the problem with treatment is, is 12 step. That's actually not true. Um, we look at some of the other things, like cognitive behavioral therapy is, is sort of the gold standard in non 12 step treatment. Um, and when you think about, well, what does cognitive behavioral therapy uh, attempt to resolve? Well, essentially, uh, what it does is help people identify triggers. 
um, and then the consequences of those triggers, the thoughts that, that come with that, and then the behavior. And they try to, to change that cycle of behavior. Uh, well, if, if we think about that belonging piece, if we think about trauma, uh, this doesn't address trauma or belonging at all. What it's meant to do is to change behavior. Um, how does that resolve trauma? Where, where does that go? Where does that sense of belonging go? Um, almost all treatment programs have a very high success rate as long as people are in treatment. So while you're there and while you're getting the sense of community, the sense of even belonging, even though you're paying to be in treatment uh, and people are around you and talking to you about stuff, this stuff really seems to work. Yeah. But once they leave treatment, it does, it, those treatment facilities have the same outcome rates as 12-step treatment uh, facilities do over time. So there's something about this. Well, doesn't that go not- doesn't that go, go well doesn't that go back to 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 kind of what you were saying though you have to want it so to me that would sound um somewhat or all like a personal responsibility that's a choice because when i got out of treatment i got out of, um when i went home treatment was was really the i mean i don't want, i want to sound um you know, uh, well, I, it wasn't easy, but it was the easy part versus going home. Now I got to go back out into the world and I got to figure out how right. to be a dad, a husband. I got to figure out how to do my job. I got to figure right. out how to function. That's the hard part. And I had a choice. I could have went back and I could have gone back to the same behavior and stuff, but I chose to start going to, you know, meetings on a daily basis, start surrounding myself with people. So what is the personal responsibility aspect in that of once they get out of treatment? Um, you know, isn't that a choice or is there more to it? Well, I think that, you know, that's a, there's a combination. There's a combination of personal responsibility and social factors that, that play into that. Uh, Somebody may go in uh, to a 12-step meeting or I've let's just start with sort of my experiences going back to, to working mm-hmm. with people. I've never met anybody that's in that struggle of addiction who doesn't want out sure. really, really badly, right? Sure. They're doing the best they can all the time, every day. And for some, that's really hard. You know, if, if somebody walks in, if I walk in and here's my experience in recovery, for example, Uh, I'm somebody who went from, you know, sort of homelessness and family didn't want anything to do with me. I very, you know, just sort of reached that place in my experience and and landed in in treatment. Uh, I was not going to get I didn't even consider myself uh, a drug addict or an alcoholic, uh, even though, uh, you know, for about looking back for about five years, I was already in like severe uh, states, you know, it's like yeah. not even like at the beginning parts. Those are not 15, 20 years before. Uh, so I became like a, a, a ideal sort of a superstar of treatment and then sort of went to AA uh, because my non 12 step treatment was a 12 step treatment hmm. um, that sort of urged everybody into. They hosted AA meetings and, and urged everybody to go. And if you didn't go, you were the one. And they had people that were, well, I mean, and who wants that? Yeah, you're dealing yeah. with loneliness, and yeah. here you are at your most desperate place, willing to go into drug and alcohol treatment. Like, it doesn't get any lower than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and now I'm going to be the only one there? So that wasn't going to work for me. So I sort of became this um, high performer, like overachiever in treatment, hmm. including going to AA meetings, where if I look back at that now, it didn't make sense to me. 
but I, I kept doing it um, as a way of doing exactly what I did as a teenager, uh, which for me was figuring out what I needed to do and say to be accepted, right? right. That was the most important thing I needed. So, so I did that. Um, and, and, I, and I got that sort of acceptance that I was seeking. Um, and so my drug addiction and alcoholism um, went away, went into recovery, and was replaced by sobriety. And I got to hide behind that. Uh, and I'm not saying this is what happens to everybody. Sure, I don't sure. think this happens to everybody at all. I'm just sharing one way that, that it does happen. So I was still hiding behind this new label, going to meetings all the time, starting new meetings, um, and not only that, sort of doing all these other things, right? So including yeah. going to grad school, all of this stuff that um, now was still running away from my demons and still running away from that core identity that I didn't know what to do with into this new identity and these new ways of coping with that identity that the world was willing to clap for huh. versus point at me and go, you're crazy, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. That's, that's one other thing that happens. Now, imagine if I go there and my experiences as a kid, and this is something I deal with a lot with clients that I work with, didn't install a schema that says, figure out what they need and become the good kid. What if my coping strategy as a kid was figure out how to piss them all off because they're not seeing me <laughs> yeah. for who I am, which is what a lot of kids do. That's just as adaptive as what I do because it solves the problem of loneliness in a way mm -hmm. by adopting a, a different label that says I'm a F up or I'm whatever. Yeah, yeah. And now I can have other F ups just like me and we can flip off the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That person, just like me, is trying just as hard as me. But the way that they're going to respond uh, in a community that they don't feel like they belong in is to do the same thing. And then we sort of can look at that person and say, they're just not taking responsibility. Yeah. Um, that's where I think that uh, having a wider set of choices for people uh, is a really good thing because those people are trying just as hard as you and I, um, it just looks different. Hmm. And one of the things I think therapists do really poorly, I think the recovery community does a really great job of this, and therapists do really poorly, is therapists even uh, have developed, without a conspiracy, it's just a thing that happens, these ideas that addiction is particularly hard to treat. Um, or that you know, sort of addicts don't necessarily work hard enough, or um, they're somehow they they they're they're wanting to stay in their addiction, um, and that's a way of saying to me, that's a way of saying this is really really hard, and instead of me looking at how I can work differently, what is it that's not working? I can just say, well, they're not they're hard to work with. Point the finger. Put, that's right. Yeah. The, that's these ideas uh, points the finger at the other person, and it. It, which, sure, it's, it's really, really hard. Sometimes people's uh, presentation is tough to be with. Um, the way they treat you, the way they talk to you, the behavior is scary. Their lives are in danger, and we're trying to help, and it seems like that help isn't working, and we get scared. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite natural to say, oh, it's just hard, and put it on them. Uh, I, I would say it's a little bit more on the therapist, on us, yeah. to, to be like, okay, um, what do I need to try next? How do I try to reach this person? How do I find compassion? How do I find 
um, that inner belief that says, no, they're doing the best they can. And if I were them, I can't expect to do anything different. I, the re, they're doing what they can, the best they can, given with what they have in this moment. Sure. And what can I do next? Sure, sure. Um, I want to I want to transition a bit here. We got about ten minutes left, and I I really appreciate uh, your time today, man, and conversation. This is this is really really good stuff. Um, more than fifty two thousand drug overdose deaths in twenty fifteen. Um, I, I think uh, I'm not sure what what that number is. I think that's the late or the the most recent um, uh, stat that I could find, at least. Um, just to put it bluntly, what the hell do we do about it? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Statistics. Uh, uh, who cares about what they actually are? What we do know mm-hmm. is it's getting worse. It is, and yes. people are dying uh, more frequently, um, and different populations of people are being affected. And that also does uh, add to our knowledge of it because this, these kinds of numbers have always existed in certain populations that just weren't newsworthy or politically sure. um, uh, beneficial. Uh, I, I think, you know, so, and there's so many things that are involved here. There, there is good help out there. Um, and if people are struggling, um, what I would say is it's time for uh, for the addiction treatment community and therapists to stop thinking about why the addiction and stop th- focusing on the opiates or the crack or cocaine or the, or the alcohol or the weed and begin to ask why the pain? Hmm. Why is it that we're having pain at this epidemic level? What is it that's causing so much pain? It's not the drugs. It's not the opiates. There are tens of thousands of people right now um, that are getting surgeries and getting filled up with diamorphine for days on end and going home with opiate prescriptions. Then there are other tens of thousands, maybe even unfortunately hundreds of thousands of people that are going through cancer treatment, which is very painful Mm -hmm. and comes with very, very strong opiates. And the great, great, great majority of them are not becoming addicted. Once the surgery is over and the pain is gone, they put it aside and they go on with their life. Um, but others don't. So it's not the substances. Yeah. Uh, so what, what is it? What is it that's making people uh, be in so much pain? And that's the message that I sort of try to send out to the, the faceless number of people that are listening to this now is that that. We, we see your pain. We want to see your pain. Um, your, your pain is real. It's coming from a real place. Uh, and what you're doing to deal with that pain is appropriate. Yeah. It's putting your life at risk, sure. Um, it's causing other, other things that you don't want. Uh, financial problems, relational problems, medical problems, legal problems, all of these things can come as the result of the way that you are attending to your pain. Um, and there are other ways. There are, there may be so, other ways to attend to that pain. Well, so, so, so you're kind of, when you put it like that, you're really getting out in front of the substance abuse itself, because I've been talking about this, you know, the more that I grow and learn a little bit each day about myself and about just, you know, my recovery and my past. And, um, you know, there's so much more to it than just my issue with, you know, wanting to do drugs or to drink, to medicate myself and not feel that pain. So basically what you're, what you're saying is when we're getting out in front of that or, 
maybe a better way to put it is let's let's kind of set the the substances aside as just a symptom of what we're actually dealing with. We're actually um, dealing with past things or maybe present things, financial things, all these, it's life, I guess it's life in general that can be super, super tough. Sometimes that's what we need to start looking at versus like you said, the, the weed, the crack, the Coke, the, you know, whatever the substance is. Um, Absolutely. So, so how do, how do we, how do we kind of help get people to understand that? By talking about it, I mean we're I, doing I, it right now. I, exactly. That, that's that's a good. That's a great point. I think, man, it, it is. It's just by being open and 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 starting the conversation. That's right. It, it is exactly that. We just have to and seeing people in it. Um, you yeah. know, it's again to 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 go back to my story. I clearly recognize that there is my my sobriety date, the date I I put aside substances um, in that life. And then there is several years later um, in which my, my strategy for dealing with my pain didn't look the same. It didn't involve drug dealers and booze and, and that and, and that kind of hangover and all of that stuff. But it did include running marathons and becoming a yoga teacher, dot, 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 and then needing a hip replacement a few years later because it beat the hell out of my body. Yeah. Right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pain management was still present. Um, and we even hear it in the rooms of AA quite often that sort of uh, people pretty openly say, you know, replace your addiction with addiction to AA. And that's actually from a harm reduction place. Great. Do that. Your, your AA is not going to break down every organ in your body in the same way that alcohol will. Yeah. And if you find community and all that, you could actually heal your trauma. Um, or, or find that sense of belonging, find that sense of purpose, worth, all of those wonderful things that come when we're in community, when we're in places that, that we feel like we fit, you know, that, that yeah. jigsaw puzzle that works for us. And that also doesn't mean that it's like life is just all rainbows and unicorns. It's not. That's just not how life works. Yeah. Uh, but what it means is when it's not, when it's really ugly and messy and snotty and ugh, that, that we have more resilience uh, from being in community. So... So yeah, it's about getting away from talking about substances and looking at uh, at the pain and saying, okay, you're in pain for a good reason. Yeah. Um, and let's attend to that pain so that you don't have to go from one thing to the next to the next in the pursuit of this thing. And then also generationally, so that we don't now, uh, you know, transfer that pain to the next generation. Yeah. I think a big part of why I am where I am now is because I'm also a father now, and and it's like, oh, I. I want to do this work for me because I deserve to have a good life, uh, but also because I want my kid to have a different experience, an experience that says, okay, where's your pain? Let me see it, and let's attend to that Mm -hmm. and teach you how to recognize your pain and uh, and, and – isn't that, isn't that the cool, isn't that the coolest thing just to be able to just like, um, like I know, like I look at my, my daughter and my son and I just like, you know, they don't have to see me, um, you know, drinking or, 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 um, you know, not that I'm perfect by any means, but a pretty solid state. I'd like to think for the most part, definitely compared to how I used to be, but isn't that just the coolest thing to look at your, your, your kid, um, you know, your, the, your child that you love so much. And just to know that you have an opportunity to teach them and to even better than teaching them to show them, you know, what, what it's like to, to live a life where you don't have to, um, use a substance to alter any moods or anything because it's so it's so relevant in our society. I feel like everything revolves, you know, um, 
a lot of things revolve around uh, socially around around drinking. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, but how cool is that to be able to just look at them and know that you that you can actually break that cycle? You know, I, I love it, man. I, I just I take a lot of pride in it, so that's what I was kind of getting. Uh, yeah, at. man. How yeah. cool? Exactly. Yeah. It's it is really cool to be able to uh, to try mm-hmm. to be present um, and you know to recognize. I, I I'm. Of course, I get activated. I get worried. I've got yeah. my business. It's a new business in a tough field. And, and I, we were going to talk about insurance and treatment and all of that. <laughs> so we haven't even touched on that, which is like well, super hard. And so, of yeah. course, I, I, I get scared. And, and in that state, uh, you know, I want to work more to make it happen. And, and then that's pain, the pain of fear and the, the wanting to manage that fear. And, uh, and, and then I do and say and uh, escape into work or all of these other things. Sure. I have ways of trying to deal with that. What's really great is to be able to then come back and go, okay, what are my priorities? And, and yeah, yeah. I can't, nothing I do now is going to solve my pain for the rest of my life. A lot of what I've got to do is just to kind of deal with it um, and to, to get a little bit closer to how I would like to respond to it. Yeah, right? so yeah. My idealized person would do it in a way, but that, that person's impossible for me all the time. Every sure. once in a while, I glim- get a glimpse of that, that person. And that's what I try to do with clients as well, is to, to sort of go, okay, how do we get closer to that idealized version of yourself? And when you don't respond in that way, to go away from this idea that I failed, but to go, oh, my pain was too great, and, and I did this, and, and that's fine, and now I know. And let's yeah. look to see what happened, uh, and where did that come from, what is it that I, that I really need to do? And, and, um, I, I want to, I, we got about five or six minutes left <laughs> if that's cool with you. And so I, I want to be fair to you because the, the conversation just started going and we were, we were going to talk a little bit about your business, about, um, about healthcare, about insurance. So I guess I'll, I'll start here. Um, one of the main issues out there, there's a lot of people that want help that don't, they can't get help because of right. insurance purposes. There's nowhere to go, but there's be- beds are full. There's a waiting list. And you know, um, a lot of the times what, what, what happens is the person who wants help at the moment, there's not a spot open for them, whether it's through a County service or whatever it is. And, um, by the time that spot opens up, they're already back out on the street using again, and they may die straight up. I mean, it, That's it, right. it happens often. Um, so I'll kind of start there and you're the expert on this. I'll let you kind of run with it. What, what are your thoughts and how are you kind of navigating around, um, help helping this and, uh, your, your, your thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about public services, it's just underfunded, understaffed, really, really amazing people. And in many ways, they're delivering the best treatment. These are often organizations that get their money from public sources. And those public sources are also funding research. And so they're having to uh, implement the newest ideas, the most vetted ideas uh, around how to work with people. And they're just waiting lists all over the place. Just uh, We work really closely with Venice Family Clinic just around the corner from us, uh, trying to help in some way and, and to, to bring in people at no cost. Um, yeah. We don't do insurance here uh, at all for a couple of reasons. One, though our values, our ideology towards addiction treatment just doesn't uh, allow us to go in network or do direct billing with insurance companies because they want us to do things in certain ways um, and to demonstrate things like medical necessity. And we don't even necessarily think about addiction from a net- medical necessity perspective. It's, we think of it from a social relational perspective. Yeah. Uh, so what we've done is we've created a, uh, a, 
income-based tiered system that allows us to bring in people that make a lot of money and then people that make no money uh, from full uh, pay down to zero pay. As far as insurances go, you know, people have different levels of coverage. Uh, and there, there is a, uh, there's a frenzy of treatment facilities trying to get those people in who have any kind of insurance at all. Uh, and people pay for that insurance. We're mandated. We have to buy insurance. Um, and so when you're paying, whether it's 50 bucks a month or 1500 bucks a month for your insurance, you want to use it. Um, and what people don't realize is that's not, it's not so simple when they go in. The insurance companies and, and the system is not, is not really addressing healing. It's addressing symptom management uh, in terms of giving you just enough so that you can, uh, quote unquote, dry out. Um, and if a treatment facility is really particularly good at getting authorizations, they may be able to extend your treatment yeah. 30 days, 40 days. Uh, we met with this amazing treatment facility out in Simi Valley that this just does really good work. Uh, and they, they actually created a trophy for one of their clinicians that got 70 days of treatment <laughs> under an insurance policy. But yeah, they, a trophy, uh, the beast they put on there, <laughs> which is awesome. I'm yeah. glad that, that happened. But yeah. imagine trying to address uh, addiction in 70 days. Like, yeah. Sure, some people do it overnight, right? That happens all the time. Uh, there's a... a, a I can't remember his name. There's a TED talk. This guy's talking about years and years of crack use. And uh -huh. in one of his uh, binges, he had an image of his mom um, looking at his dead body that, that, that overdosed on crack or oh, sleep, wow. all of that. And, and that was it. He never touched it again, right? It's like, okay, well, that happens. Uh, people do that. But generally speaking, that's not what happens. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's about finding places that are willing to work with you, um, that, that are willing to take your insurance, but also recognizing that part of your problem may very well rest. The pain that I keep talking about may rest in the idea that the systems we have in place here um, are causing additional pain. We have for-profit companies um, that are posting the greatest profits uh, of any industries other than tech um, from quarter to quarter, and they're charged with our health care. Yeah. Right. And that that in and of itself is part of the problem. Like mm -hmm. it's that doesn't make any sense. We have um, we have we live in a society uh, which is having a really tough time figuring out how it's even going to address the idea of helping each other. Yeah. Right? How do we offer support? And, you know, when we do think about how to do it, uh, we think about waste and uh, and inefficiencies in government and big government and, and who wants that who wants their hard work hard-earned money to go into a system and disappear and not get any services anyway mm -hmm. uh, and when we take away those services well then we know that we're left with with really no help uh, so uh, very complex it's a very complex, it complex thing there's so many different elements to it that it's just uh and we kind of talked about that before we started recording today it's just um it, it's it's tough it's really tough to navigate through um, and, and that's why there's good dudes like you out there that are in the right. trenches, just grinding through it. <laughs> One of the things we do, um, for anybody that wants to contact us and our website is at E V O H W that's Evo health and wellness.com, um, is 
contact us. Anybody that calls out from anywhere in the country will reach me and I'll be glad to talk to them and find out what their situation is, what's going on, what their insurance is. We'd be glad to verify their insurance. We don't take insurance. So this is not a way that we're like going to get people into our program. That's not what we do. That call is not, my intention is not to, to recruit people into our program. We are a for-profit company that tries to manage our expectations so that we don't become greedy. Yeah. Uh, but we do have to pay our bills and pay our salaries for people, et cetera. So if people want to come in, great. We'll do our best to help. But that's not the intention of people's call. Call and let me try to help. What, what is there? Let me try to help figure out what resources may be available to you in your community. There are awesome uh, self-help organizations, whether it's AA or Smart Recovery or SOS or Moderation Management to, you know, just one conversation may open some doors or opportunities or at the very least um, change that internal dialogue, uh, sort of put my voice in their head that says, maybe you're not an F up, uh, but just managing pain in the best way that's available to you. That in and of itself uh, can reduce the pain, Yeah. right? So you have the original pain, and then there's the additional pain of, I'm an addict, I'm a da-da-da, and all of those things. For some, it's empowering. The way you talk about it, it's empowering. But that's not everybody's experience, and, and I know it wasn't my experience 20 years yeah. ago when yeah. I was deep in it, right? Yeah, that, that word meant things that I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to take away everything important from me, so... Well, uh, Crush, it's it's been really cool, man, just chatting with you. Um, I appreciate you coming on today, sharing a bit about your story and then about the work that you're doing, too. Um, if folks want to get in contact with you, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, do you want to give any of your contact info? I, I know you just gave the website out. Maybe drop that one more time. And uh, folks, you, you heard him. If you if you need, have questions you want answered, you want to you want to just chat, uh, please, please reach out. Yeah, absolutely. So Evo Health and Wellness. So E for Eagle, V Victory, O Orange, Health and Wellness. Um, You can find that on Facebook, on Instagram. uh, And then our website is evohw.com. There's phone numbers there. You can email. uh, If you want to call me, great. If you want to email and ask me to call you, happy to do that. Um, If you have insurance and you want to find out what your options are, you can either fill out our insurance form. We have a pre-authorization form on the website. We'd be glad to make some calls for you, find out what your options are, and give you those options. Um, we, I, To the extent, if you read through our website and what we do and how we do it makes sense to you, um, then we keep lists of referral places that we can give you that we think do good work, um, that try really hard to help and, and try to connect you. So that's good stuff, happy to man. try to help. Yeah, hey, th- thanks again for coming on the show today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope this was helpful for some folks, and I really enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. And we'll put, uh, folks, we'll put all these show notes will be um, with the links, everything uh, on, on the show notes page. You can go to www.thatsoberguide.com for more information. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.